Um, the reading today is Romans 15, verses 1 to 7, and it's on page 1141. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to praise, bring praise to God. Amen. Well, thank you for those very kind words and sentiments. Um, and, uh, well, let's move on. Now is the time, is it not, for uh, comedy? No. Now, that would be impossible for me. Um, and humour. Uh, now is not the time for cleverness. Uh, you all know that that's beyond my capabilities. Rather, we're going to look at the Bible together, um, and uh, as ever, and look particularly just at one verse, um, which I hope you can see there in that reading that was read for us by Deidre. Top there, page 1141. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. This is my prayer for you as a church as we head off into the doom and gloom of South Wales. That's what the weather is like there, I'm told. Uh, and uh, and uh, may this be an encouragement to you. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that on this day, like on every day we meet, that your word would be our guide. Holy Spirit, please be our teacher. May your glory be our chief concern. Amen. Now, there are in this church a number of theologians. I'm not talking about uh, pastors or academics. Uh, there are several of these here today. Uh, but they are our children. Because there's not one child here who's not sung that simple children's song. Um, and it's so profound, isn't it, really? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. We all know that song, don't we? Uh, but this God is our God, folks. And I hope that this day, that great truth of this mighty God that we ha have thrills our hearts. Though the Bible speaks of God in human terms, uh, with human characteristics, he has arms. Uh, we told that he has eyes, his hands, his, uh, his heart. It's anthropomorphic, the way he's speaking there, giving human characteristics. Unlike us, <coughs> God has no limits in knowledge, power, and rule. And he has a hundred more attributes that should thrill our hearts 
and consume our thinking, not least that this God of ours is love. Not all of us tell everything there is about us. We have secrets, don't we not? Secrets we keep to ourselves. So God has his secrets. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, 29, we read these words, the secret things belong to the Lord, and not all is fully revealed. Yet God, in his kindness, has told to us and revealed to us in words and in the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, all we need to know about himself, that we may know him, simply stated that we can become the children of God. And being united together as his children is the theme of where we're going for these next few minutes. You know, our world is pulling apart, is it not? I heard the story about a political party. The prime minister of a, in this country, I won't name the party or the, the prime minister, the prime minister and a leading advocate of that party weren't really getting on. The advocate of the party said on one occasion in the meeting, can somebody please lend me 10p? I need to make a phone call. To which the Prime Minister said to him, here's 20p, um, why don't you phone all your friends? How about that? In a, you know, that's a party that's supposed to be together. In our world, there's little unity, politically and socially, rather sadness, uncertainty and division. It's so sad to see. And it is God's family, which we are part of, which is to lead the way and to demonstrate, not merely to each other, but to our needy and sad world, that we are on the right road in living and in growing in unity, we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So unity, it will be so important and powerful. There is nothing like it. In chapter 14, verse 19, if you can grab, uh, put, put your eyes down to that there for a moment, it says, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. It's all summed up in that verse, that prayer. May God, verse 5 of chapter 15, may God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ. Well, three things this morning about unity. First of all this, it is God who strongly encourages our hearts towards this. Not me this morning, not the elders, but Almighty God. And when we are pulling apart I may be pulling apart in the future as a church. Let me tell you this. As you pull apart, God is not there as you pull apart. If it comes to a matter of truth, if our, our new and beloved pastor, Gareth Lowe, stands on a matter of truth and leads this church on a matter of truth, then there should be no disunity. But on secondary matters, my friends, which we tend to want to promote ourselves, our own way, what we like, what we would prefer on various matters, then you can be sure that God is not there. When you reflect on this verse, you see the attributes of Almighty God and what he can do for us. And we, my friends, are so different, are we not? Paul uses some very nice words about God and what he can do to differentiate him from us, his complete awesomeness. Not to make us feel bad, but to encourage our hearts. It is God who is there for us, to build us and to strengthen us. God is for us. He loves us. There's no need for guesswork this morning. We know and we are known by Almighty God. So here is a verse full of prayer and praise for us to God. And God, you see, will encourage our hearts 
and give us endurance in every way, not least in regard to unity. That's what God's desire is. And Paul prays about that. But do you see the dynamic link between verses 4 and 5? You see almost the same words are used there. In verse 4 and 5, God encourages and gives us endurance through his words. Now God himself does it. We must not divide God from his words. It's how he communicates with us, with words, living words, with language that we can understand. We've learned together that God speaks authentically through his, the Bible. We listen. We hear his voice. That's sure words. We are told in verse 4 that it is God's sure written word that brings us hope and endurance. God gives us the, the, himself in verse 5. Do you know what the trouble is in since the pandemic? The experts, church consultants and researchers tell us that generally speaking, folk are coming far less to church. Not coming so much. Still committed, but not coming so much. Can I ask you, is it possibly because we have lost our hunger and thirst for God's word, that we may be tempted to look elsewhere. My friends, as I head off, how are you going to be built up in your faith? How are you going to be, keep going? That's the meaning of endurance and encouragement in this discouraging world. It's to him and his word that we need all to lift up our heads, young and old. Fill your minds and fill your hearts with God's words. If you've been away for a while, come back and listen to God's words. You see, God is existentially kind, good, and patient. He extends his hands to us to reach us, that we may know his salvation and his dynamic presence to keep us going and to keep us growing. That's why Paul prays. The second thing of three is this. Christ, Christ alone, is our great example of unity. We will know and experience unity only as we follow Jesus Christ's lead. Look at verse 5, the second bit there. God will give you endurance and encouragement and give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Following Jesus means listening to Jesus. Now, what is unity, folks? Is it not gladly thinking the same thing together? By, so believing the same thing and moving ahead as one? That's what unity is. But it's not an empty uniformity. Um, there is a film called... Uh, have you seen the film called Equilibrium, anybody? Um, about, it's a dystopic film, have you seen it? Uh, it's a society in the future there where there, no emotion is allowed. So no laughter. No tears. No, nothing. People live in complete conformity. Dress, belief, lifestyle, even the food they eat. And if you look at them, they're so unhappy, soulless, controlled, and repressed. I've seen churches like that, all wearing the same clothes, all absolutely made to believe exactly the same thing. But the Lord Jesus Christ comes to us within our varied and diverse individual personalities. We're so different in this church. It's so wonderful, culturally different. People from different races and societies, different dress. Yet, my friends, we're bound positively together in Jesus Christ. 
not least, as we, we're told in, ver in verses 14 and 15, that we are weak indeed, whilst others are so strong. I mean, how easy is it for the strong to inadvertently uh, coerce and abuse the weak? That's what chapters 14 and 15 are all about, weakening relationships. And if you look at the early part of chapter 15, which Deidre read to us there, it speaks on this. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. How easily, as I've said, the strong can stand over the weak and make them feel very bad. And the weak in the same time can lash out, spurning the strong and verbal fisticuffs follows. It's a, rec a recipe, not just for disunity, but for disaster in church life. And that means that we should be, should be so different in this church. And in the verses that precede the section, verses 5 and 6, Jesus is shown as an example and a foundation to build on what he was like. Paul speaks about the strong and the weak. Putting the strong and the weak together normally is an absolute nightmare. Have you seen that TV series on TV? It's called um, something SAS. And uh, what they have is three ex-SAS um, uh, soldiers. And they take with them to the Far East, to the desert, a group of celebrities, mainly girls, um, uh, who are taken off and trained up by the SAS. It's not a pretty sight to see the things that happen to those uh, guys and girls there by these strong professional soldiers who lay into the girls, who weaponize their strength and use words, words you would never use in the Sunday school, by the way, uh, to those folk with so much weakness as they fail task after task and they angrily leave the training ground in tears or are kicked out and shattered and demoralized. It can happen in churches. I know people, even in my own family, who have been demoralized by such actions of the strong, shattering the hopes of the weak. So Jesus is to be our example in this church. He did not please himself. Do you see that there? He bore with the failings of the weak, often to the point of exasperation. Once in Mark's gospel, Jesus said to his disciples, because of the weakness of their faith, how long am I going to put up with you? But he did. He put into practice verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up, not to pull him down. How will we know unity as we go into the future? Well, we're going to bear each other on our shoulders, as Jesus did. We're going to consider all those people around us, not ourselves. We are to bear with them. Often, uh, you know, at the moment I'm making lots of phone calls, you know, changing this, changing that, changing the other. Oh, yes, Mr. Lewis, can you just bear with us for a moment? It's just a moment, a little bear. It's a little bear. You're going to have to bear with each other for perhaps 10 or 20 or 30 years. Look around. But it's worth it. Jesus bears with us for all eternity. And here's the foundation of how we respond. It's the big thing for us. 
as we go into the future. It's not about pleasing ourselves. It's my concern, my friends, that as we put our differences aside, we will in all matters see Christ more clearly because he is beautiful, he is merciful, he is faithful. Look at our church. Some of us are quite young, others older. How easily that gap could get bigger. Some of us are very staid and traditional in this church, you know. I know you. I can see the staid people here. I can see others of you are far more avant-garde, whatever that means. Innovative. Some of us are quite narrow in the way that we conduct ourselves, you know. I mean, you know, you'd rather starve than go buy some bread on a Sunday, for example. Uh, there's a much more broad in outlook. You know, that's, uh, you say, shopping on a Sunday? Hmm, I can't really see a problem. And the problem is, my friends, that we can easily look down on one another and condemn one another, but rather we should accept as God has accepted us, not least on disputable matters. Love, kindness, and care. Stories told of a church in the United States of America on the West Coast. It was near a college campus. This church was incredibly traditional, uh, full of old-timers. The men always turned up in suits, white shirts, modest ties, you know, as they were. Ladies in dresses, wearing white gloves, clutching Bibles under their arms. The church life was incredibly traditional, and they viewed some of the young people who attended with great suspicion. One morning during the second hymn, it seemed that someone arrived late, and in he came. His clothes were bright, his, he had orange streaks in his hair, he wore a earring, he wore a earring, and scanned for a place to sit in the packed church. There was no room, so he came to the very front and he sat on the front row, on the, uh, next to the front row on the floor. And everybody froze in the hymn. You know what it's like when something embarrassing happens? Then suddenly from the back of the church, an older man rose up. He was an old deacon. He took his cane in his hand and slowly made his way down towards the young man and then placed his hand on the young man's shoulders. Everybody expected, look out, you know, deacon, the deacon is here, there's going to be fireworks. Except that the old man, with great pain, lowered himself to the ground with great uncertainty and sat cross-legged on the floor next to the young man. And understandably, in the church, there was an incredible emotional reaction. The pastor stood up in the pulpit and said, what am I about to preach? You will probably forget. I mean, that's my motto, by the way. <laughs> what you've, he said, what you've about to preach, you will probably forget. What you have seen today, you will always remember. Now, my friends, Jesus emptied himself. He became a servant. You want unity in this church in the future? Follow Jesus. Be like Jesus. So unity, God, to this end, God will encourage our hearts. Secondly, Christ will be our example. Thirdly, and finally, and incredibly briefly, let me say, believers are to know and to see unity. That's verse 6. What's the result of this? So that with one heart, 
and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my friends, being like-minded doesn't mean we absolutely agree on everything. This will never happen. As long as we live in our bodies and have this old sin nature, we're going to be disappointed one to another. Nonetheless, we can be in this church people of one heart and one mouth. It, means, it does mean we have to live in harmony with one another, accepting each other, verse 7, as Christ accepted you. So often we divide over what is disputable. Some things are incredibly secondary. We have personal preference. Christchurch Harpenden, choose carefully what you decide to fight on in the future. And that's reasonable. You see, if I'm, if I'm living to please you, then it'll be more than myself. And living for you, which is, means that I love you more than myself, then we'll have nothing to fight about. So then we will live with one heart and glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm reaching out to you with warmth and acceptance, then, folks, we're going to get along, even if we don't agree on everything. That's a powerful truth, is it not? Accepting and loving one another. Uh, have you got marital tensions at home? Sometimes there are tensions, aren't there, really? Well, accept one another, love one another. It'll settle family squabbles. It'll resolve the, uh, the interpersonal conflicts. And best of all, it will enable us to fulfill God's primary purpose in making us his children, to glorify him with our lives, with one mind and one voice. And this always and ever is to be our goal. This is a place today where we decide such. And if that's our lot in this church, then we'll be privileged to be part of it as the years unfold. Accept and love one another as Christ accepted and loved you. For his glory's sake. Amen.